The newly amalgamated Diocese of Tume, Limerick and Killaloo have been appointed a bishop. Bishop Michael Burroughs succeeds the Right Reverend Patrick Rook, who was formerly the Bishop of Tume, Killala and O'Connery, and the Right Reverend Dr. Kenneth Kieran, who was formerly Bishop of Limerick and Killaloo, after both men retired at the end of October last year, at which time the two dioceses were united. Now, we recently spoke to the Catholic Bishop of Killaloo about the future of the Church in Clare, and I'm now joined by the newly appointed Church of Ireland Bishop for the region, Reverend Michael Burroughs, to do the same. Uh, good morning to you, Bishop Burroughs. Good morning. How are you? Nice to be speaking to you this morning, although I'm still very much in the southeast for another few months yet. Okay, and uh, no, it's very good to have you and to have a chat with you. So, um, when do you expect to make the move from the southeast? The date hasn't been precisely defined yet, but it's likely to be about three months after I was elected. So that looks like mid-April, but uh, we'll be more precise about that in in due course. Obviously, it's quite a wrench uh, making the change. I hadn't quite seen this coming, but I'm sure there's a rightness and even an excitement about it for me. And I've been Bishop of Cashel Ferns and Ossery for 16 years now. So quite a wrench. So, yeah, so you've been there 16 years, a big change, and as you say, quite a wrench to leave. Is there a, a sense of excitement, though, at taking on a new challenge in your new role that you will be taking up shortly? Well, I think there's always excitement about a new challenge and perhaps a particular excitement about one that one didn't quite see coming and therefore one has to see, I suppose, the hand of providence or the discernment of others in it. I hope so anyway and uh, perhaps after many years as a, as a bishop in one part of the country uh, one will be able to bring certain experience to the needs and challenges of another part of the country. Obviously, one will have to listen and learn because each part of the country has its own diocesan culture but I turned I might as well be up front I turned the great age of 60 last year I went to Cashel Ferns and Ossery when I was 44 so I, I hope I remain healthy and energetic I pray so anyway and I didn't quite expect in my 60s that I would have this new adventure but now it's sinking in I greatly look forward to it and exploring the parishes and meeting the people and indeed learning the coastline all the way from Berra to Belmullet well, might I say, Michael, 60 is uh, no age at all. You're, you're still a young man. Don't be worried I was about just, that. I was just <laughs> hanging that out, hoping that you'd say it. So you, you've made my day by saying what I hoped you'd say, which well, is uh, always the delight of being interviewed. I'm glad I um, measured up to your expectations, but I'm being genuine. 60 is definitely yeah. no age at all. But look, I mean, the fact you're not starting, uh, taking up the role of Bishop of Tume, Limerick and Killaloo until April gives you time to prepare for it, and I, which I guess is... I mean, if you take up any new role, you, you, you know, you have to do your homework. Well, but given that this is very much a new role, it's an amalgamated diocese, does that change? There's a, there's, the... a, there's a lot of aspects to making this change. First of all, I have to clear my desk on a fairly large job that I've been doing for a long time and, and take leave of people with whom I've worked closely for a long time. Secondly, um, I must view the new diocese not as either part being, as it were, absorbed or subsumed by the other, but a, I, I use the analogy of a marriage, a coming together of places with slightly different cultures, history and identity in the hope of a, a, a happy arrangement where, to use the cliché, but I, I do mean it, the, the whole will be more than some of the parts and therefore there will be a great deal of mutual enrichment going on, a great blending of talents, of, of 
of regional variety. But the other practicality, of course, I'm facing at the moment is just the awfulness of moving house. And the idea with the new diocese is that the main base will be in Limerick, but there'll also be some sort of more modest accommodation in County Mayo and Castlebar or Westport, and that has to be straightened out. So from Kilkenny to Limerick and Mayo is a kind of triangular move, and I've also, uh, many of your listeners will understand that, we've four children who are all just about adults now, but they all spent much of their childhood in Kilkenny, and as they have moved on, they have left all their stuff behind them. And um, <laughs> I'm now at that moment in life where I've got to sort of deal with the accumulation, not just of the years, but of the generations. Yeah, well, I, I think at this stage, if they've all moved out, Michael, you're well within your rights to say you have until April to take your stuff or else it's going in a skip. I know, but all of us <laughs> will remember from our childhood that awful moment when our parents abolish our bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> turn it into a gym or something, you know you're yeah, not welcome yeah. anymore. <laughs> I, you, I mean, even describing the geographical breadth you're going to have to cover, Limerick up to Mayo, um, it, it's a, it's quite a big diocese that you'll be taking on. Uh, well, I think you could say that again, and even when one looks at Google Maps and the time involved in travelling between places, it is enormous. But then on the other hand, I have friends in the sort of world of Anglican bishops who deal with vast territories in the north and west of Scotland, for example. So it's doable, uh, provided one organises one's time, provided one makes the best use of technology. And after all, when the whole programme to bring together Chewham and Limerick and Killaloo was born, I don't think anybody had heard of Zoom. And of course, there is the motorway between, uh, sort of the arterial motorway between Limerick and Chewham, which does make a huge difference. And finally, finally, I always like to say this, I, I am something of a railway enthusiast. And one of the things to which I look forward is making much use of the Western Railway Corridor from Limerick to Galway and perhaps joining the, the campaign of those who would wish to see it finished. Have you been in contact with either or maybe both of your, your predecessors, um, Patrick Rook and Kenneth Kieran, to get a sense from them of of what to expect from the job or because it's an amalgamated diocese, you know, does it change things to a degree that there's only so much they can really fill you in on? Well, they're both good friends, and I've spoken to them at length in recent days. Obviously, one person can't do what two people did, and, and one has to uh, form a, a new perspective on what is what is wise and feasible. I hope I have reasonable endowments of energy, but one cannot uh, be multi-locational. But since we're mentioning my predecessors, one of the joys I've had, because I've been in the Church of Ireland House of Bishops for 16 years, is that I have been very friendly with quite a number of bishops who have uh, passed through both Limerick and Shoham um, at the Limerick end, bishops Mays and Williams and Kieran have all been friends bishops Henderson and Rook at the Shoham end, so when we meet as bishops we sort of listen to each other's issues, we share each other's ideas, we uh, are attentive to each other's concerns so having sat at that small table of a dozen people with people like I've mentioned for, for many years I feel I have by osmosis absorbed a certain amount of what will be the priorities of the new diocese but there's nothing like being on the ground and listening and um, and exploring and to that I look forward and one has to be always conscious that the, the Church of Ireland is a, is a very small minority and a particularly small minority in, in parts of the, the new diocese but that doesn't mean it lacks confidence or variety or edginess and I think that's a word I would stress a lot uh, the West is the edge of the country 
the Church of Ireland minority is, in a way, uh, a small minority that lives on the edge of, um, as it were, a wider context and culture. It was very much part of it, but um, it's small. But I always think edginess is at the heart of the gospel. And if Christian people can't live successfully at the edge and communicate with those beyond them and outside them, then they become introspective and they and they fail. And to me, I've often said things like confirmations. I never worry about small numbers. There were only 13 people in the, at the Last Supper and they transformed the world. And the Christian Eucharistic community is a circle of people I would like to say holding hands, but I can't say that in COVID times. But the Christian community is a circle of people holding hands and looking not inwards, but outwards. You you say you're not worried about small numbers, but we were recently joined by um, Bishop Fintan Monon, the Catholic Bishop of Killaloo, talking about the need for amalgamated parishes and maybe church closures and so on, or or bringing in other measures like the increased use of lay people, given the number of priests and brothers, both serving and retired, who had passed away over, over the last three years. And that's the... The scenario facing the Catholic Church, from your point of view, you mentioned that the numbers for the Church of Ireland are quite small anyway, and the fact that this parish is now amalgamated, would that concern you at all, that those small numbers are only getting smaller? And for starting from a small base, there could be more serious issues coming down the line over the next 10, 20 years or so. I'm certainly a realist, and as I say, I've been a bishop a long time and watched statistics and watched church attendance patterns, and uh, being a Christian disciple isn't always about having one's posterior on the pew every Sunday, and it can involve many other things, and it can involve sometimes an edginess that takes one to other places apart from the more predictable places. Uh, Of course, we live in a time of social change that affects church life. I mean... I grew up in a rectory. My father was a priest in the suburbs of Dublin in a very big parish, actually. So, you know, I grew up with big numbers. But what I've seen, I suppose, over my lifetime is how even for people who'd consider themselves very involved, church going has often ceased to be so much of a regular habit. I would say now regular church goers are sometimes people you might see once a month instead of once a week. Mm. And to reduce the average congregation over the year, all you have to do is for the people to to attend fortnightly rather than weekly. But, you know, we live with all these realities, but if one becomes scared of them, uh, one gets despondent. I have a diocese at present with more church buildings than any in Ireland, 150 of them, so I'm very used to scattered and, and small congregations already. As I say, the number at the Last Supper was very small indeed, but they were transformative. And I think the key thing is to look out to serve communities, to be confident, to be joyful. And the one thing I remember the bishop who ordained me saying, uh, all of us, his ordination charge to me, he said, and this was back in the 1980s, never become dominated by the mindset of decline. And I think of God as a purpose for all the churches somehow in very new ways, with very new models of ministry, uh, with very new styles of worship, on we will go. And... um, the resilience of Irish Christianity has been remarkable. It's been through much worse phases than it's going through at the moment. And I suppose my sort of, if I have an academic background, it's in history. I, I did postgraduate work on Irish bishops, which I believe just before the Reformation. And all I could say is there were scenes then which would have made people at the time wonder would the church survive at all. But we go on. 
you've certainly, as you've alluded to earlier on, thought about the new diocese in terms of where you live, how you'll travel around it. Have you thought about how the amalgamation of Tume, Limerick and Killaloo diocese is going to work in practical terms, though? Well, I suppose to that question, wait till I get there. The former bishops and the dioceses themselves have done a great deal of work to prepare for this moment and to prepare for it both courageously and happily. I'm sure a lot will land on my desk in day one about how they wish to proceed um, organically and, and administratively. But, you know, I think it's doable. And the main task of a bishop over and above their more public profile and that public profile in Ireland always needing to be exercised as you've implied in an ecumenical context all the time and this is the week happens to be the first day of the week of prayer for Christian unity so you know I, I, I greet all those of many tr- Christian traditions who may be listening to this with, 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 with great affection but over and above the more public side the main task of the bishop is to be the pastor of the pastors to know the clergy and other involved in ministry to understand their needs, to make them feel supported, empowered and resourced and um, as has been you know, I hope my practice in the last 16 years uh, my absolute priority will be to cover the ground in such a way that the clergy feel I am there for them and frequently insofar as I can in their houses and aware of the needs of their families and that the bishop has a role in a very scattered diocese to help clergy feel they are never on their own. In terms of Clare, can you give us an idea of what portion of the population here would identify as being part of the Church of Ireland? And the answer is no. I mean, I know it's it's very small. Uh, on the other hand, it has uh, adjusted interestingly over recent years when probably people have found their way into Anglicanism in a way they quite didn't do before. But I was only elected last Friday and I haven't, as it were, taken down the, the volumes of census returns, either civil or ecclesiastical. So I would be making shots in the dark were I to uh, give such figures no. at the moment. But it is very small, but I have a friend who's a scientist uh, who who talks to me about, I'm not very good at scientific language, but he talks to me about things called trace elements. And trace elements are things in a in a compound which are almost so small sometimes you can't measure them, but without them the thing would not be what it is. So however small the Church of Ireland minority may be in Clare or, what other, or in other counties, we would hope to be, on behalf of the Kingdom of God, a kind of trace element that helps to make the whole of the local community what it is. When again, when we were speaking to Bishop Monaghan, he felt that by the end of this decade, you know, you would see more amalgamations and uh, more need for the Catholic Church to adapt. Can you see in Clare and in the wider new diocese the same number of services still being available by the end of the 2020s? Or can you see a scenario in which more dioceses have no choice but to amalgamate? Well, I think... There are various comments one might make on on this. I mean, endless amalgamation can lead to weakness. It has to be done in a way that is is confident and doesn't undermine people's sense of identity. On the face of it, there may be too many buildings, 
But on the other hand, those buildings are places of long associations and places of great holiness. And one abandons them uh, often at one's peril. There are, of course, challenges of maintenance. So I have always said in my present diocese, my agenda is never, unless there is a local desire to do it, my agenda is never to close churches, but they don't have to be used all of the time. And if those who love them don't feel that they are physically threatened, perhaps they will be more willing on certain Sundays to worship in other places and to move about a bit. And I'm sure that's what's the practice in County Clare and elsewhere in the West already. The other thing, of course, is to reflect on the fact that you know, the life of the church isn't just about an hour on Sunday, but nevertheless, insofar as the gathering of the people to break the bread and tell the story is, is pivotal, we have to look at how we do public worship. A key thing is Eucharistic provision, but we can't always do that. And there are other forms of, of, of worship which are genuinely communal. Probably, and I say this, you know, not in any unecumenical spirit, but just in the context of the reality of how we do things. The Church of Ireland has a long and rich tradition of non-Eucharistic worship as well as Eucharistic worship, and that can be enabled by, by trained lay people and has been done for many years. And the other thing we are, of course, exploring is when people are genuinely called to ordain ministry, uh, how to deploy them and ordain them without necessarily paying them. And this is not at all new with us, but we have developed it of late in things like what we call ordained local ministry, where in a way a community raises up its own person to be trained as a priest and to be acknowledged by the wider Catholicity of the church. But there are various models even of ordained ministry that are not tied to the stipend and to sort of fixed parochial models. And the other thing, of course, is that nearly all my ordained life in the Church of Ireland, ordination to the priesthood, has been open to both women and men. And we have been hugely enriched by the fact that our spectrum of ministry embraces the genders in that way. And I don't say that, by the way, without genuine understanding of the position of other Christian communities who are not in that position and have their own theological and conscientious re reasons for being so. But I would find it hard at this stage to relate to a ministry team that wasn't reasonably gender balanced. Okay, uh, we we do have to leave it there, but it's been a, a pleasure speaking to you and we wish you the very best of luck when you uh, formally take up the role in April. And I'm sure we'll be speaking to you uh, many times once you do so. Uh, bishop Michael Burrows, the new incoming bishop of Toome, Limerick and Killaloo. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much indeed.